I'm pretty sure that T-ball was invented only for the amusement of parents. Uh, you have, have a kid up there, put the ball on the tee, he hits it, or maybe the second or third try, it goes to like some kid who doesn't even have his glove on, he's like picking daisies in the outfield. He's, you, know, you have a, have a T-baller, okay? Baseball, baseball's, you ever hit, tried to hit a baseball? Hitting a baseball is hard, okay? I, I could never hit a baseball very well. T-ball is as simple as you can make it. Now, one of the things you don't expect to happen is to take that T-baller, put him beside the plate, and then have him hit a 90-mile-per-hour fastball. You don't expect that to happen. He's not, he's not capable of doing that. And that's a kind of, it's a natural inability. You don't expect that he's mature enough or capable or strong enough or quick enough to hit a fastball. Now then, take another form of immaturity. College student gets, gets a check from his parents or gets a check from, from uh, student aid or something like that, gets his check. He's supposed to pay his tuition with it. Instead, there's this great opportunity, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to Panama City Beach for a week. I mean, what, what would you do? That's a different kind of, of maturity. It's a different kind of immaturity. One, one form of immaturity is a natural kind of immaturity. It's just not, just not strong enough, just not, just not capable yet, still, still learning, still growing. The other kind of immaturity is the immaturity of a, a moral immaturity, a lack of self-control, a lack of, of self-discipline, a lack of wisdom. And it can be the same way in the Christian life. For some, for some Christians, they're just starting out in the Christian life. And, and they don't understand very much, and they're not able to understand some complex ideas because they're just starting out. They're just learning. But there is a completely different kind of immaturity in the Christian life. There's the immaturity that is not able to stomach substantial teaching, not because, not because they're, they're naturally incapable, but because they are morally incapable. They are unwilling. They, they still think in worldly ways and live in worldly ways. Therefore, they are not able to take in substantial truth. What I want you to see today is that uh, that God, that we are able to receive mysteries from God in the spirit to the mature, but not to those who are morally incapable, morally unable, morally worldly, thinking worldly and living worldly. We want to be mature. If we want to even know the mysteries of God, we need to live in accordance with what, what Jesus Christ has given us in accordance with the cross. Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 Corinthians 2, we're going to go just a little bit into 1 Corinthians 3, into the first four verses, I want to make sure I tell you that ahead of time so we don't get to the end of chapter 2 and you start to get antsy, you know, so, so we're going to go through chapter 2 into the first four verses of chapter 3, and what I want you to see first is the mysteries from God, the mysteries from God. Read first with me verses 1 through 5. It says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
Now, we looked at this very carefully last week, but I just kind of want, want us to backtrack just a little bit and see Paul is very clear that he did not come with wise words or eloquent words. It was not, it was not about the, the cleverness of his, of his content, and it was not about the smoothness of his delivery. That is not what the faith of the Corinthians was based on. Instead, his, his message was so, was so implausible and offensive in some ways. The, the message of the cross and his, his presentation of it was so weak and filled with trembling that the only explanation for any of the Corinthians coming to faith was that it must have been the Spirit. It must have been the Spirit of God who caused them to understand, who caused them to come to faith. Now then, let's move into verses 6 through 9. That's what it says. It says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 6, he starts off with, and, and it might be helpful to kind of get it if we kind of flop it around a little bit. Okay, so this is just kind of my paraphrase. That though we do not speak a wisdom of this age or a worldly wisdom, we do impart wisdom. Paul's made it very clear we're, we don't speak in a way that would, would please everybody in this age, that would please all of the, the so-called wise or powerful people in this age. But we do impart wisdom. The, the rulers of this age, they're all passing away. This age is going to end. All of those things that, were, that are mighty and proud in this age, those things are going to come to end. They're going to make way for the authority, for the majesty, for the glory of Jesus Christ. But we do impart wisdom. And he explains what this wisdom is, at least a little bit, in verse 7. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Now then, I want to take a second and make sure that we understand what he's talking about here. Secret and hidden wisdom. That word that's translated secret there is the word mysterion. It sometimes is translated mystery. And that uh, hidden, uh, that word that's translated hidden is apocrypto. You can kind of hear there cryptic, you know, like a puzzle. So, so you could see how that, that's, a, that's a word that we get from a related word there. So you think this is, this is, is he talking about mysteries and cryptic understandings? But every place that Paul talks about the mysteries of God or the secrets of God, he's talking about a, a very specific concept. That is, this is something that was not made clear in the past. When the prophets were, were looking uh, we're looking into the future. The way that First Peter one puts it is that they were they were eagerly or or very very conscientiously looking in into the things that God was giving them. They wanted to know who the Messiah was going to be and when He was going to come. But there were many things that they did not understand. There were many things that before the coming of Jesus Christ were mysteries. They were things that they were promises and they were prophecies that people uh, took on faith. They believed them and they were saved by their faith in the coming Messiah. But they did not understand them clearly. But when Paul is talking about mysteries, he's talking about things that we used to not know, that people in ages past did not understand. But now we do know them. With the coming of Jesus Christ, all these mysteries, now they're made clear. And so the reason why I want to stress that is because there are some ways of living the Christian life and, and of approaching the Scripture where it's almost people really revel in. They really, they really enjoy things being mysterious as if as if things were supposed to be cloudy and unclear 
And it's almost as if, uh, and, and I think that in some ways, uh, some teachers play off this. They, they appreciate things. They want things to seem obscure so that they're the only ones who really understand. But that is, not the, that is not the purpose of the scriptures. That is not the way that the apostles taught. They taught to make these things that were hidden in ages past, that were unclear before. They, they intended them to be clear now that Jesus Christ has come. That's what Paul is doing. I, now he's saying, we impart the secrets. We, we make them clear to you. Have you ever been working on a puzzle? And uh, maybe it's a, it's a crossword puzzle or you're doing some Sudoku or, or you're working on some kind of riddle and, and you cannot figure it out. And then you, you, you and then somebody comes by and they, they show you the little trick and they, they say, you know, what's a what's a three word for excavate? And they're like, dig, you know, like, like that's like it's just like it's and you go, you go, oh, well, when we are listening to the teaching, of the apostles, when we're looking at the scriptures. Uh, we're supposed to be having these. Oh, now I see. Oh, oh, now I understand. No, we're not supposed to have, we're not supposed to be unclear. There is certainly, God is incomprehensible in many ways, but, but he has given us many things for us, for us to understand, for us to have clarity, God's clarity. And so we, we, we look at these things and we know that God is making these things clear. He gives us just a little hint about what is this mystery. At the end of verse 7, he says, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So what he's talking about here is not something separate from the gospel. It's not something separate from the word of the cross that he's been talking about before. But it is an expansion of of the meaning of the cross. It is not just Jesus, uh, it's not only Jesus died for your sins, not only that you are a sinner and he died to give you eternal life, but it is the expansion of God's plan from, from horizon to horizon, from eternity to eternity. He says, this is the, this is the mystery, this is the, this is the wisdom of what God decreed before the ages. Before, before the, the earth started to go around the sun, before it started to spin, before time began, this is what God decreed. This is what God determined. This is what God foreordained. This is the, these are the things I want to tell you about. And then he says, for our glory. That's, that's the end of eternity. That is, that is what happens when Jesus returns. We, are, we receive, we are glorified in him. We, are, we receive eternal life. We receive resurrection bodies. We receive this, this life that has been promised. So what, what I wanted to, I, the first time I came to you, I was I was explaining to you about the cross. Now I wanted to set that cross within the eternal plan of God from from the beginning, since actually before the beginning to the very end and beyond. That's what I wanted to explain to you. Does that make you want to look into the scriptures? It makes me want to look into the scriptures. I hope that that generates within you a hunger and a thirst for the scriptures. That's the reason why we want to continually read the scriptures again and again and again. The reason why we want to hear the scriptures taught again and again and again. There's, there's, more, there's more to hear. There's more to see. There's more to know. And, and this, is not, this is not a crossword puzzle. This is about what has been decreed from the beginning for our glory. I want to know about that. That, that makes me want to, that makes me want to dig. That makes me want to work in the scriptures. That makes me want to be careful how I listen. Because this is, this is about what God is doing in the world, in history, 
in all time. Now, he says in verses 8 and 9, he's talked about this. He, he started to make this distinction between uh, the wisdom of this age uh, and the wisdom of the age to come. He kind of uh, continues in that in verses 8 and 9. He says, none of the rulers of this age understood, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Notice there just the whole idea of the Lord of glory. That's Jesus Christ. They crucified Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. We, we are going to receive glory in Jesus Christ. He's just making a word, a connection with words there. But he says the rulers of this age, that's the Jewish leaders who, who did not receive Jesus as the Messiah and they took him and they handed him over to the Gentile rulers and they crucified him. They were thinking with the wisdom of this world, they did not recognize this, this hidden wisdom, this, this wisdom that was, that was mysterious in ages past but is now being made known through Jesus Christ. They didn't see that and so they crucified him. And then he quotes from Isaiah 64, 4. It's kind of a free, uh, a free quotation that kind of combines a lot of ideas all throughout the, the Old Testament. But he says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That, that is, that's an unfolding of the mystery. You know what? That they, they, they only understood in a clouded way. They only understood in a shadowy way. The things that they were talking about, they were talking about things that were going to come in the future, things, great times, the, the time of the, the pouring out of the Spirit, the time of the, the, the creation of a new heavens and a new earth, the time of a, of a new David who was going to rule over his people and who was going to gather all his people back together. And there are all these, there are all these uh, prophecies and there are all these patterns and all these pictures of sacrifices being given for our sins. What they, what, what they could not imagine, now we have in Jesus Christ. We, we ought to know better, and not to know better in a wonderful way that is a gift from God that has been given to us. We have these things so that we ought to desire to know more and more of what God has given us. I just read a, a, an article just this past week, and it was, it was a Sometimes people will ask, like, why, why, so many, why so many sermons? Why so much teaching? How can you possibly take all this stuff in? Well, I think part of the answer is because there's still so much. It, every little piece is something that, that is something that is for those who love him. And I love him. And if you love him, this is for you. All of these great promises, all these great glories of, of things that were written down beforehand, they're now for us. Now then, before we move into who receives or how, this, how these mysteries are made known, I want you to flip forward in your Bible just a little bit to Ephesians 3. To Ephesians 3. I want to read verses 1 through 6. And I want you to see just a little bit of an expansion of of what this mystery is, and it's also going to give us a little bit of direction going in the next, into the next few verses. So listen to verses 1 through 6. This is Paul writing again. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, now, notice in verse 3, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. 
This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. We're going to see many things kind of picked up on here in the, in the passages, in the verses that are going to come in 2, 1 Corinthians 2. But just notice here, the whole idea of this mystery is about the inclusion of the Gentiles. That word there translated Gentiles is, is ethne, from which we get the word ethnicity. Sometimes, depending on the context, it's sometimes translated nations. But the whole idea is that, that in the past, uh, the, the plan of God was focused on the nation of Israel. It was focused on the Jews. But now with the coming of Christ, now what was hinted at in the Old Testament is now expanded to all nations. All of those who are far away from God, which includes most of us, almost all of us, now means the inclusion of us into the plan of God, into the salvation of God. And look at the way that he puts it. He talks about how we are fellow heirs. The, the promises that were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those are our promises. Those are promises that we, we are heirs of or partakers in or stakeholders in. Uh, we are, you see that he says, members of the same body. It's not two separate bodies, but the same body. A body of believing Jews and believing Gentiles that are brought together in Jesus Christ. And he says, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Those, those things are for us. That's the mystery. The mystery is that all of those promises, all those things that were, were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all those things that were given to the nation of Israel and its kings, to David and to, its, uh, to their prophets, those things are opened up for all who would believe in Jesus Christ. And now it is, our, it is our joy in this age to make those promises known, to make those glories known to all nations. That's part of the mystery of what God is doing from, from before the ages began to future glory is gathering together a people of all, uh, of believers from both Gentiles and Jews into a, into a church, into a congregation of people who are praising his name forever and ever. That is God's intention. And so let's be taken up into the mysteries of God. Let's glory and revel in the mysteries of God made known to us through the apostles. Now then, uh, going back to uh, Ephesians 2, we're going to see how this comes about. And that it is the mysteries of God, the mysteries from God through the Spirit, through the Spirit. Read verses 10 through 13. It says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from Christ, that we may understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now you look at verse 10, it says, very, very frankly, these things have, uh, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And verse, verse 11, he explains what this means. Who knows the depths of God except the Spirit? That is, uh, and then he compares it to who knows a person's thoughts except for that person's spirits. It, it, it kind of sounds a little, bit, a little bit hard to understand, but it's really not that complicated. Who knows what you're thinking right now? You might be thinking really hard about what I'm saying. You might be thinking about a really important problem in your life right now. 
You might be thinking about your grocery list or your fantasy football team, but, but who knows what you're thinking? You know what you're thinking. And that, that part of you that is on the inside, in biblical terms, that is, that is known as your spirit. That is the, the immaterial part of you that no one can see, but, but it's definitely something going on there inside of us. You know what you're thinking. Who knows what God is thinking? Who can comprehend the thoughts of God? Well, none of us can. But what the Spirit does, the Spirit who is himself a divine person, one of, one of the, the third person of the Trinity, one God in three persons, each of them holy and fully divine, but the Spirit searches the deep things of God. And he takes, he takes those deep things of God and he makes them known to us. He makes it so that we can understand them. Now, if you look at verse 12, Paul talks about, and he says there in verse 12, he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Now then, in verse 12, and you check me on this, you test me on this, read through 1 Corinthians 1.10 through the end of chapter 4, when he's talking about we and us, primarily Paul is talking about the apostles and the prophets of the New Testament. He's talking about people like himself. He's talking about people like Peter. He's talking about people like Apollos. Same as what we saw in Ephesians 3, where, where he talked about these mysteries have been revealed to the, through the apostles and the prophets. So he says there, these things have been, these things have been revealed to them. These things have been made known to us. So what he's saying there is, is here, here's what's happening. The these mysteries, you, you, you know about the mysteries of God that have been made known to me. He's talking about himself. He's talking about Paul. They've been made to all, known to us, people like uh, Paul and Peter and, and, and Apollos. You know about these things. Those things were made known to us by the Spirit. His point is, these things did not originate with man. These things are not worldly wisdom. These things are not man's wisdom. We didn't sit around in a little huddle and come up with our own new religion. These things are revealed to us by God himself. These things were revealed to us by to those who saw Christ raised from the dead. That's been revealed to us. Now then, look at verse 13, and he says, And we impart this, this mystery in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So what, what is given is, is once for all given to the, to the apostles and the prophets. This, this, this was revealed. And now they, as their testimony or as their teaching or as their proclamation, they are imparting this wisdom to those who are spiritual. To those who do not have a spirit of this world, who aren't thinking according to worldly ways, but those who have those things that are taught by the spirit. So, so in theological terms, this is the difference between what we would talk about as revelation and what we would talk about as illumination. Revelation are those things that are inspired by the Holy Spirit, by God who is the Spirit. They were revealed in the Old Testament to, to, to the prophets. And they're, they're recorded in the law and the prophets. And now that, that, is, the, that is what the Holy Spirit, as, as uh, Peter puts it in another place, he says that the prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They, it was revealed to them. What they were writing was a, was a product of the Spirit. It was revealed by the Spirit. And now those who, who are reading or, or hearing what the prophets and the, and the apostles spoke now are receiving by the Spirit illumination what, what God already revealed. That is 
we have the Spirit. Jesus Christ, before he, in his last, in his last speaking with the disciples, with the last speaking with those that he named apostles, he said, I'm going to leave you. But when I leave, it's actually better that I leave because when I leave, I'm going to send somebody like myself and he is going to make all things known to you. He's talking about the Spirit. And so what is given, what was given by the Spirit to the apostles and the prophets is now, that same Spirit is given to all those who trust in Jesus Christ. All those who believe in Jesus Christ. And so the whole idea is, is summed up there in verse 13. He says, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The word that's, that is, is translated there, interpret, is actually, is actually putting things together. Like a puzzle piece or, or like magnets whose, whose magnets come together. The apostles and the prophets are revealing spiritual truths. And then the spirit is causing them to be understood by those who have the spirit. That's us. Now then, uh, that's, the, that's the difference between the revelation that was given to the apostles and the prophets. And now the spirit is illuminating what was once for all given. Those things, he's not giving us new revelation, but he is making things new to us. Because we are just discovering some of many of these new things. What that brings us to is a focus on the teaching and the preaching of the prophets and the apostles, which is, which is recorded in the New Testament. It brings us to a focus on, on digging here. There, there's more, there is more light for us to know, but it's to be found here, and the Spirit is going to make it known to us. He's going to help us to understand it. And so we focus on the word of God to know what it means, to, to understand it. We focus on it as the, as the focal point of how does God speak to us? God speaks to, speaks to us through his word. He is more opening up more and more things out of the scriptures, which, which was inspired, which was revealed by the Holy Spirit to the prophets and the apostles. Now then, again, test me on this. Go. You see this pattern of revealed to the apostles and prophets and then imparted to, the, to others, to believers like us with the Spirit through the, through the writings of the apostles and prophets? But one, well, sometime soon, maybe not too soon, maybe in a few months, we're going to get to 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, we're going to speak at length about the nature of New Testament prophecy and prophecy in our age. But if you'll go and compare this pattern Compare that to what Paul says in Ephesians 2, 11 through uh, 3, 3, 13. Okay, Ephesians 2, 11 through Ephesians 3, 13. Compare the pattern and see if that's not the way that it is. And maybe by the time we get to 1 Corinthians 14, you'll have it all figured out all by yourself and I don't have to explain anything. Okay, all right, so, so just compare it. Just test me on that, okay? Test, test to see if what I am saying is true. You go and look at it for yourself. Now then, what we've seen so far is that these are the mysteries of God through the Spirit. But now, now there are some people that it's not revealed to. Two different kinds of people that, it's not, that are not able to understand it. And the first one is not the natural person. The mysteries of God through the Spirit, but not the natural person. Read verses 14 through 16 with me. He says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. 
For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. In verse 14, there where he's talking about the natural person, what he means is, is simply the person who does not have the spirit. He's talking about a person who is an unbeliever. A person that is not having that has not had these things revealed to him or, or made clear to them by the spirit. And so he says, the person who doesn't accept these things, he says, these are the things of the apostles and prophets. These things are being spoken. The person who doesn't accept these things, they're, they're just, they're still a natural person because these things are spiritual. And, and what you might want to think of is there where you see spiritually discerned. Think of that as a capital S spiritually. Sometimes that's helpful. It's talking about things that are, that are discerned or made clear by the spirit. Now that I I hope that this is encouraging for you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian. Because you may feel like you don't understand as much as you would like to understand. You may not understand very much. But if you understand anything about the cross of Jesus Christ, that is a work of the Spirit. That is a sign, that is a, that is a sign, that is, a, that is a, uh, something that is demonstrating in you that you have the Spirit of God working in you, in you. So you may feel like you may feel like sometimes, hey, I don't I don't really understand what's happening. But but if you're starting to under if you're starting to understand, that's a work of God's Spirit because only those who have the Spirit are able to spiritually discern. Only those who have the Spirit are able to accept and glory in and love and trust in the cross of Jesus Christ. Now he says in verse 15, he says, the spiritual person judges all things, but is judged by no one. Now then, I think that in context, the main person that Paul is applying this to is himself. Later on in chapter four, he's going to talk about how uh, I, I don't, I don't, it doesn't matter what others think of me. Evidently, some in, in Corinth did not think very highly of Paul. They didn't think much of his speaking. He spoke in a weak way. He didn't speak like Apollos. He didn't speak like some of the some of the secular orators or or, or, or or speakers that they saw in other places. And so they despised him. They didn't think much of him. They didn't think very highly of him. They said they said at one point his letters are are really powerful. Uh, but yet when we see him in person, he's just kind of not much. You know, he's just not not much to it. And that and so, uh, but Paul in in First Corinthians four he talks about hey I. I don't care if you, no, no one judges me. I don't even judge myself. I have one who, I have one who judges me, and that is the Lord himself. I have a, I have a stewardship. I have a commission. I have something that he's told me to do, and I am, I am serving the Lord. I don't care what you think about me. Now then, like I said, I think that's mainly about, uh, Paul is speaking mainly about himself here, but he takes that principle and applies it to all believers in some place like Romans 14, where he talks about when, when we make different decisions based upon our consciences, he says, let's not judge one another because ultimately we are only judged by God. If we're in Jesus Christ, what matters is whether or not we stand or fall before Jesus Christ. And so in our conscience, when we are striving to do what is right, when we're trying to find out what is right, when we're trying to make decisions, what we need to do is whatever we do, strive to obey Jesus Christ. And so it doesn't matter what other people think about you. It matters what Jesus Christ thinks about you. And he says there, for who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Uh, the implied answer is nobody. 
nobody understands the mind of the Lord. You know, he's talked about how the rulers did not understand. He's talking about how the natural person does not understand. He's talking about how in many ways people did not understand before the coming of Jesus Christ. Who, who, is the, who has understood these things? But then he says, but we have the mind of Christ. What he means is, is that for uh, beginning with those who were disciples of Jesus Christ, those who were with Jesus Christ, those who were named apostles, and now through their testimony, those who have come to believe in Jesus Christ, he says these mysteries of God are, made, are laid out. You have the Spirit of God to understand all of these mysteries. And in these mysteries being laid out and in the Spirit of God making these mysteries known, you are thinking the thoughts of Christ after him. The, the, the way that Christ thinks is being made the way that you think. Praise God. Other people can't accept the cross of Christ because that's a foolish way of thinking to them. How could, how could Jesus Christ go to the cross? How could your Lord and Savior go to the cross? That doesn't make any sense. How, how, could, how, could, how could he be crucified like a criminal? How could he be so weak? And let himself be crucified. And yet the wisdom of it all is that Jesus Christ, being in the form of God, the Son of God, being fully God, he became a human being and went to the cross for our sins. He was obedient to death for us. He humbled himself. He, he served us by becoming a ransom for us. That is, he died in our place. That, that's the mind of Christ. That Yes, that is the way to do it. That is the way to live your life. And now we are to have that same mind. We are to think in that same way, to live after him, to have the mind of Christ where we live in humility. We live following Jesus Christ, knowing that, that he is changing the way that we think and he is opening up the mysteries of God to us by his spirit. I also want to point out that one of the things that we, that we neglect, I think, as one of the great privileges and one of the uh, the power that is given to us by the death of Jesus Christ is that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that we could have the Spirit in a way that no one uh, before his death could ever have. The Spirit was active in the Old Testament, but not in the way that, that he is now among those who believe. And the reason, the, the turning point in history that made that possible was the death of Jesus Christ. Why is it that you can understand better? Why is it that you can overcome sin? Why is it that you have power for ministry? It's because Jesus died on the cross to give you one who was like him to make known to you the mysteries of God, his very own mind. He gave you the spirit of God. He has made the spirit of God to dwell in us. But not in the natural man. Not in the natural man. Not in the person without the Spirit. Over and over again, we've seen that the way that God distinguishes between people is, is something that God is doing in people's life. It's something that God initiates and carries out. And we see it again. God made these things known to us. What can we do but thank God for, for his grace? Now then, there's another group that, that is not able to receive these things, uh, uh, not able to receive these mysteries of God. And that is, uh, first of all, the mysteries of God uh, through the Spirit, not for the, not for the natural man, and also not for the infantile. Not for the infantile. Read the first four verses of chapter 3 with me. It says, But I, brothers, 
could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? There in, in verse 1, Paul says, I could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He's talking about there, I think, his, his initial coming to the Corinthians. We, we know that he came to them uh, for 18 months, approximately, in the book of Acts. We, we know that he was teaching them. Uh, we know from what he's already said that he was not, when he says, I was feeding you milk, he, he's not saying that, hey, I entertained you or I, I, I told you the things that you wanted to hear first. He's, he's, but he's saying, it, I, I gave you the things that you could handle. I spoke to you about the cross of Christ. You were not spiritual then. I, 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 knew, I wanted to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified because you needed to start there. But then he says, uh, he, he says, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, and even now you are not ready. Yeah, that, that was okay then. You know, that was like the tea baller. And, and even the word that Paul uses in verse 1 is different from the, the word that's translated flesh later on. There where he says, uh, the people of the flesh, that is, that is uh, like pertaining to uh, human, human nature. That is, you were just speaking in a, you were just hearing me in a humanly kind of way. But he, what he switches to in verses, verse 3 is in a fleshly way, sarkakos. That is, you are, you are still obeying the, the desires of the flesh. And he says, you're not ready. This is more like the college student who goes and blows his, his tuition money on a trip to the beach. This is a person who does not have the self-control, does not have the self-discipline. They're still living and thinking in a worldly way. And they cannot accept substantial teaching. And he says, for, look in the middle of verse 3, he says, for or, or because, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving, behaving only in a human way? And he points out in verse 4, the same thing that he started with in, in chapter 1, verse 10, about how there are divisions in the church in Corinth, about their, their, their taking, their, their bragging about their connection with certain teachers, with men, mere men. They're bragging about it. But he says, you're not ready for substantial food. Now, this is one of the things that, that, that it shouldn't have caught me wrong. It, it, shouldn't have, it shouldn't have been surprising to me, but it was a little bit surprising when it finally clicked. What's the reason why they're not able to take substantial food? Why, why are they not able to take substantial teaching? Is it because he gave them the Bible trivia quiz and they couldn't get it? Did they fail the theology exam? And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I, I gotta, you gotta pass, this is pass or fail, you gotta pass this to move on to, to like Christianity 102, you know, you can't, you can't move until you, until you get this. No, he's, how does he know that they're not ready for substantial food yet? By the way that they act, by the, the way that they live. You know, Paul, would, Paul said to Peter when he was rebuking him, he said that, that I saw that those who were, were living in a certain way, that their conduct was not in keeping or not in step with the gospel. How do I know that I can't expand the mysteries of God for you? How do I know that, that you're not ready to hear about what God decreed in the past and about your future glory? And, and how, how do I know? 
because you're still thinking and acting in worldly ways. I think it's very important for us to go just this little bit further in the argument and understand this because there are some who always think that they know. There are some, almost in every place, almost everywhere, there are some who think that they know. And you know what? They don't know. Because if they knew, they would live differently. There are always some who think that they, they have a... They, that, that, what, what's so ironic or, or strange in, in the way that Paul is talking to them is that many of them, they prided themselves on being spiritual. They prided themselves on being mature. But they're acting like babies. They're filled with division and jealousy and strife. They're not living like those who are keeping in step with the Spirit. They're still living in a worldly way. And I think the, the, the challenge for us here at the end is that if we want to know more, and, and I hope that, that when we start to talk about the mysteries of God, all the things that we can know by the Spirit, you're not going to know more until you, until you begin to live what you already know. You know. When he says, I came to you and I preached the cross to you, the cross was already enough to flip their worldly way of thinking upside down. It was already a way of saying, no, the way, the way to live the Christian life is not to, is not to exalt yourself, but it's to humble yourself and to, to live as a servant. That's the way to live. It's not to, it's not to, to take pride in your connection with men. Instead, it is to, it is to live in a way that makes for peace and harmony and love in the church. But you're not ready yet. I can't, I can't talk to you about all these great things that God has done for you because you're still acting like babies. And so let us live with what we know. Let us live out the cross in our lives. Not living in pride, not living, not living in selfishness, not living in jealousy, not living, not living in, this, in this kind of worldly way of thinking. Instead, let us be crucified to the world and the world crucified to us. Let us, let us die to ourselves, to our selfish ways. And instead, in selfless love, serve one another. If we want to know more, that's the pathway to knowing more. It's to live by the truth that we have. That is the better way, is the way of love. Uh, Father, uh, thank you for uh, the great mysteries that you have made known to us in your word. And generate in us a great thirst and a great hunger to know more. To know more of the greatness of, of salvation. That we would know the, the, the length and the width and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. That, that there would be the, the, bound, uh, the boundless love of Christ. We would begin to stretch out our own uh, feeble boundaries by knowing more and more and more and being strengthened more and more in love because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Please uh, work in us by your spirit. Make, make, cause, cause your spirit to be at work in us as individuals as we, as we read your word this week and as we are memorizing your word. And cause your spirit to be at work even while we gather, while we are admonishing one another with, with songs and while we are hearing your word. 
God, reveal more to us, and we want to know more. But let us not only be hearers of your word, but also doers. Let us live in a way that reflects the, uh, the cross, uh, the, the, the way that Jesus went to the cross for us. Not, not coming to be served, but to live as a servant and to give his life as a ransom for many. Help us to carry out that same uh, path, that same character, that same way of living. So that we might know more, we might know better. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.